Welcome to the AJHP podcast series. The American Journal of Health System Pharmacy is the official journal of the American Society of Health System Pharmacists, an association of pharmacists committed to helping patients make the best use of medications. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org. Hello, this is William Zelmer. I'm contributing editor of the American Journal of Health System Pharmacy. And I'm sitting today with uh, Steve Paquette, who is uh, the author of an important paper in AJHP entitled Implementation and Measurement of a Standard Pharmacy Clinical Practice Model Across a Multi-Hospital System. Steve is uh, Director of System Pharmacy Clinical Services at Providence Health and Services in Renton, Washington. Welcome, Steve. Thank you. Let's start by having you give us uh, a big-picture overview of your system, including pharmacy leadership within the system, but also the number of institutions, type of institutions in Providence. Sure. Well, Providence Health and Services is a Catholic nonprofit uh, healthcare delivery network. We have 27 hospitals uh, located in the western states and Alaska. Our structure is we have uh, a corporate director of pharmacy and myself, the Corporate Director of Clinical Services, and we're broken into four regions. And we have Director of Clinical Services in our Washington, Montana region, and a Chief Pharmacy Officer and a Regional Director of Pharmacy Clinical Services in our Oregon region. Currently, that's our, our structure for leadership at a system and regional level. We hope to expand on that soon. Could you comment a little more about this, the types of institutions in your system, number and types? Sure, yes. We have a, a Across the spectrum, we have a number of critical access hospitals uh, in each of our regions, uh, ranging from the 20-bed, 25-bed critical access hospitals to 623-bed tertiary care centers. It's about split evenly a third each way. There's some 50-bed, 100-bed, 200-bed uh, range hospitals, and then those ranging from 400, 500, 600-bed. Yeah, very diverse. Steve, how would you characterize the pharmacy practice model in your system before you started the project that's described in your article? I think I would uh, describe it as pretty much reflective of the survey that AHHP did uh, in 2007 uh, across the country of pharmacy practice models. We had about a third of our hospitals that had any uh, service-specific clinical services, and uh, the smaller hospitals, only about a quarter of them that had any pharmacists out of the pharmacy providing clinical services. So it really was kind of reflective of the demographics across the country. Mm -hmm. Usually the uh, larger tertiary care teaching hospitals provided services and the others usually did not. I see. So what was your vision for a new practice model and uh, what were your reasons for wanting to move in that direction? The way it happened is that we worked together uh, through what we call a resource council where the leaders of all of our hospitals get together monthly phone calls and then three times a year face-to-face, and we look for opportunities to work together on initiatives to improve care. What we found was that whenever we would choose an initiative and try to move it forward, it would move forward in the hospitals that had the resources and the clinical models that could uh, be effective in, in making change and improving care, and the other hospitals struggled. And so we came together in, in uh, in seeing this and decided to develop a strategic plan to enhance the quality and scope of clinical services throughout the system so that everybody 
receive the same quality of care no matter which hospital they were at, whether it be critical access, 50 beds, or 600 beds. Could you talk a little bit, Steve, about how you uh, sold your idea, so to speak, at the top level within the system? Well, initially, it started based on the relationship and the faith uh, of administrators over pharmacy, where the director of pharmacy at uh, one particular hospital was able to convince them that it was the right way to go, and they and t- economic times were good, and so they had developed a very uh, strong clinical program. Then we used that uh, to measure the impact of that program on financial and quality measures, and then uh, taking that uh, information, we were able to justify the implementation at other hospitals. Uh, even when economic times turned and things were more tight, we could show that there was a return on investment for having a, a good pharmacy clock clinical practice model. Mm-hmm. Why don't you uh, tell us a bit about the key results uh, so far uh, in, in the program you describe in your paper. And of course, when you talk about results, you have to think of perspective. So start with uh, the system executives from mm-hmm. their perspective. What have been key results so far? Well, it's been a, it's been an interesting process uh, from that perspective. The Probably the biggest challenge that we had with all these different hospitals is that each hospital struggled on their own to try and convince their administration that they should have more resources and that it was the right thing to do. And some were more successful than others, but for the most part, the administrators saw pharmacy as expensive, as pharmacists as too expensive, and uh, felt that we needed fewer of them and that we needed to be more efficient. And that was, I think, the the overarching uh, mindset over pharmacy when we started this initiative. So this has been one of the biggest uh, successes of our initiative is that beginning uh, with the early successes, the administrators completely changed their view of pharmacy and saw us as uh, a highly valuable resource and and not an expense, but actually an asset. And some of the uh, administrators that were our biggest challenge became our biggest supporters and would stand up at meetings and testify to this. Mm -hmm. And that was was a a very satisfying uh, part of this. Well, that's really no worries. So, so the executives began to see pharmacy not strictly as a supply function, but more as a clinical activity. Right. Their yeah. their understanding of pharmacy expanded much beyond the usual, which is just contracting and formulary. Yeah. 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 What about results from the physician's perspective? Interesting that you ask that because that's a question we get consistently when we propose that we uh, put pharmacists up on the floors at a hospital where they haven't been. And there's concern that the physicians might not accept this. And so that's always the question, you know, how, did, how does this impact physicians? It is uh, positive in every, every case. Uh, most physicians have been trained at centers that have pharmacists on the team and would really value that at their hospitals. We have not had any negative experiences with physicians at all. In fact, uh, they embrace it uh, quite quickly. What can you say about the nurse perspective on this program? One of the lessons we learned is that you need to approach nursing in advance and you need to be very systematic as, as you go through this and not just make changes without consulting nursing and educating them on it. What happened in some of our early experiences is that we took the pharmacist out of the dispensing role and put them in a clinical role and nursing saw this as a detriment because they mostly wanted their medication there in a timely manner. So we learned that we had to involve them and have them understand the value of the pharmacist being there, but also that we had to address the distribution issues before we could have the pharmacists out on the floors. We had to guarantee that their service would be the same, or in most cases we would improve it by putting technicians on the floor assigned to those duties. Mm-hmm. What about the pharmacist perspective, Steve? Uh, the pharmacist, it's, 
that also has been very interesting for me, having been involved in so many hospitals uh, going through this process. Depending on where they are in, in their current career, um, they have different views of this, and some see it as a uh, as a threat, and others see it as an opportunity. And I can get a pretty good feel when initially addressing the staff with the proposal of, of uh, implementing the practice model at their site, whether their arms are crossed and they're just, you know, frowns on their faces, or some of them are just really excited. So it's been an interesting process. But in the end, they all, with very few exceptions, find this to be a great improvement uh, for them. And one of the things that we do uh, in order to address this is we take sets of pharmacists and have them travel to a site that has converted and just let them spend time with pharmacists that have gone through the transition. And that seems to work very well for them to get that perspective, to calm their fears, and to hear that, yes, it's a challenge, but I wouldn't do it any other way. Very interesting. Well, I've left uh, for last the most important perspective, and that would be the patient. Uh, What can you say about uh, the difference that this has made from the patient's perspective? I think it's had a huge impact on on the patient, most of which the patients aren't aware of. If people knew just the sheer magnitude of issues that are identified by pharmacists systematically reviewing patient therapy on a daily basis that go unnoticed currently, uh, everybody would be doing this immediately. So the patients, the impact on the patient is mostly that their, their care is improved and their medication therapy is much safer and more effective. As far as the patient's awareness, You know, patients love pharmacists, and they feel that it's very special to have a pharmacist uh, give them direct service in the hospital. And we get a lot of comments and cards thanking us for that and and noting that the pharmacist, you know, interacted with them. A lot of times, to be honest, they think that they're another doctor and that, you know, and they don't really distinguish the pharmacist from another caregiver or physician, but when they do, they really appreciate it. Yeah, very interesting. Steve, you mentioned uh, one of the lessons you learned in terms of uh, implementing this program uh, from a nurse's perspective. Beyond that, were there any obstacles that you faced as you began unrolling this program? And if so, how did you address them? Well, when we started this, we anticipated that our biggest obstacle would be getting administration approval uh, for additional FTEs, especially with the economic environment such as it was. It surprised us that that was not an obstacle at all. Based on the success of our first, second, third, fourth hospital, administration uh, completely embraced this and wanted us to do it as quickly as possible. So as it turns out, our biggest obstacle was recruiting, was finding the pharmacist to do this. We had, you know, we have a lot of hospitals, and if you have a hospital that uh, is located, you know, in a smaller community and Western Washington, and all of a sudden they have seven FTEs approved. You know, how do you find qualified people to do that? We had a number of clinical coordinator positions approved, and we had to recruit those. So it took quite a while. What we found to be most effective is to have our sites involve themselves with students at whatever level that was possible, starting with maybe even just early practice practice experience, getting some interns, uh, having some rotations, and there was an emphasis on that throughout our system. Everybody embraced that concept and developed relationships with the schools of pharmacy, and we increased our residency programs. I'm very proud of the work that our people have done in in moving forward their educational programs. We have 27 resident positions currently throughout our system, and we are adding more every year, and that is where we have found uh, most of our pharmacists, uh, through residents and students. Steve, where does the project stand in terms of overall implementation within your system? Uh, what sort of what's next on the agenda for you? 
Well, where we are now, we have, we're just wrapping up the, the last of our hospitals to go through the process of evaluating. It's a, a proposal we call a gap analysis for what they need to do. We have a few hospitals in California and a few others that are, have the FTEs approved and are implementing the program. So we've moved to the next step, which is to try and lock this in. Uh, we need to develop a metric uh, for clinical services that previously just was not there. Something like uh, orders processed or inventory items, line items, things like that. We realize that without something like that, it may change quickly and we may lose all the, all the progress that we've made. So what we've done is we've developed a metric which relates the number of patients per clinical pharmacist, this is decentral clinical pharmacist, to the amount of cost savings that's documented by the pharmacists. Uh, using our intervention, clinical intervention program that we have implemented throughout the system. And then we normalize that uh, using the case mix index adjusted admits. And it's been very interesting. We found a direct correlation. The hospitals that have fewer patients per clinical pharmacist document more savings. And using that uh, metric, we've been able to, well, we're about to propose a number um, that we can give to administration so that we can lock it in, work off that number from now on. Very interesting, an uh, evidence-based approach uh, within collecting data within the system and using that information to justify expanding your program. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Steve, there is a, a tremendous amount of interest uh, nationwide among hospital pharmacy, health system pharmacy leaders in changing the practice model, somewhat along the lines that you've uh, been so successful with at uh, Providence. What advice would you have for pharmacists at uh, pharmacy leaders at individual hospitals or perhaps uh, hospital networks, health systems who are contemplating a move in this direction? Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, my advice would be to to do it and do it soon because, as I said, uh, a lot of things are being missed and it needs to be done. It's important. Uh, So I think that people need to feel a sense of urgency around this. In my experience in working with the directors in our system, that the key to this uh, moving forward is the is the leadership that the the director of pharmacy shows and their faith in the being able to demonstrate the value of pharmacy clinical services because let's face it they put themselves on the line they're going to make a commitment to show a return on investment uh, with this and they need to understand that it's there and it will come use their position their leadership to make that move forward that would be my my uh, First advice would be to go ahead and make that commitment because, uh, believe me, it will they will be able to demonstrate the impact of pharmacy services. And then the second thing is that they need to uh, involve their staff in the process because I think a lot of the reasons for people not moving forward is resistance to change and the change process. And pharmacists a lot of times like things the way they are and don't want to change. But I, we found that if you involve them early in the process and have them uh, develop ownership of the process that you're much more successful in the long run and you meet less resistance. Well, Steve, uh, congratulations on the success that you're having with your uh, approach to implementing a a new practice model. And thank you for spending time with us uh, elaborating on uh, the manuscript you have in AJHP. Thank you for the opportunity. That concludes this podcast. For more information, please visit www.ajhp.org.